1: We are the Satellite Sisters. I'm Liz Dolan here at the Wondery Studio in West Hollywood, California. I'm an on-again, off-again corporate executive. I live in Santa Monica and I have a little dog named Hooper.
0: That's good. Well, uh, this is Julie Dolan. (laughs) I'm in Dallas, Texas, and I've lived and worked and traveled to some very unusual places. Uh, I'm an empty nester, an urban nana of five grandchildren. And Liz, I wanted to wish you Happy National Gumbo Day today. Oh, it's
1: National Gumbo Day. Oh, So
0: get yourself a nice uh, cup of gumbo today <laughs> somewhere uh, and help celebrate.
1: You're a gumbo lover because you lived in New Orleans for many years, yes, right? It's one so. of the
0: places in the world that I've lived, Liz. Mm-hmm, I've lived mm-hmm. about 14 different times, but yes, uh, so I... <laughs> I did I did def- definitely develop um, a taste for gumbo.
1: Okay. Well, our sister, Leanne Dolan, is not with us today. She is traveling this week. She was in Washington, D.C. for the board meeting of an NGO that she is on the board of. Um, and then she was headed up to New England, to Connecticut, where we grew up for a little girls weekend with some of her high school friends. So-
0: well, we certainly support that. She's having her own little satellite sister weekend mm-hmm. with her friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: so we do yeah, but Julie and I feel a lot of pressure when Leon isn't here because Leon's the organizer, Leon's the backbone, and we just you know we're afraid that she's gonna listen when she comes back and not be a hundred percent satisfied with uh, oh, she's with she's what she get hears some notes,
0: but, uh.
1: <laughs> And we can, like we're here by the, the the skin of our teeth today because yesterday Julie, you had no internet service at all at your home. Yes.
0: If you lived anywhere from Texas to Oklahoma, possibly to Kansas, you know that AT&T service went down. And it went down and it went out, and they didn't tell us, Liz. There were thousands of us just roaming around in our house trying to figure out what was going on, okay? (laughs) They had a lightning strike at one of their facilities. And unlike the power company, that when your power goes out, they tell you, hey, your power's going to be on in 24 hours, AT&T took the approach Will just not mention it, and maybe nobody will notice. <laughs> and so they just—they've uh, so many users, you know, uh, unhappy users flooded their phone lines. They—they they turned off their phones, Liz. they—the oh. they, phones stopped working, and even the virtual assistant. Uh, if you were lucky enough to get online somewhere to file a complaint, uh, the virtual assistant stopped working. So okay. the whole thing was a mm-hmm. big meltdown. So mm-hmm. yes. Hanging on by a thread yesterday, wasn't certain I was going to be able to create any connectivity, yes. or else I was going to be doing the show from Starbucks, one of the two. But I am so happy to be here.
1: Yeah. And what I didn't know till I got in today, Julie, is our engineer, uh, the wonderful Sergio Enriquez, told us, like, all the power was out here yesterday at Wondry. So it's yep. a good thing we do a Tuesday show, not a Monday show. That's all I got to say. But we do, you know, despite missing Leanne, we have a very full show. Uh, we have a couple of stories near the top about, you know, the pesky problem of what to wear to work, a um, couple of different approaches to that. Uh, mm-hmm. I have news on my my diagnosis. I've mentioned that I'm having some you physical therapy treatment? done. I I have a diagnosis I'm going to share with you. Julie, you were uh, an admissions officer at colleges and universities for a long time. So you're going to break down that Harvard case that's in the news right now, right?
0: If you have a high school age kid and you wonder... How am I ever going to get my kid into Harvard? I think the next couple of weeks, there are going to be some major insights coming out of this court case in Boston. But I'll break it all down for you.
1: And then on Entertaining Sisters, Julie has a, a Broadway show to recommend that she saw last week. And I have a couple of films that I saw this weekend at the Bend Film Festival that I wanted to tell you about. But we cannot, cannot, cannot start today's show without saying, thank you so much, Megan Markle.
0: I- are, I just, are you not over the moon with the excitement that mm-hmm. Harry and <laughs> Meghan are expecting a baby in the spring of 2019? Now, yeah. we don't know when this is happening, Liz. Mm-hmm. It's believed to be in April. Uh, I don't know. I don't willing, need
1: to know all the details.
0: I'm, but, I'm, I'm fine. Oh, I think we need to know every all the details, Liz. <laughs> we can't get enough about this because... I mean, wait, go Megan, right? Yeah, this yeah. is really amazing. Of course, there has been some speculation. When she showed up um, this past Friday at Eugenie's, or Eugenie's wedding, however you say her name. However you say that. She, she was wearing that wide-fitting coat and dress. Uh-huh. There was some speculation that perhaps... Maybe they were having a baby. But I feel like the big tip-off is when she, when Megan got off the plane in Sydney because they're on a two-week tour of Sydney and New Zealand and the Fiji. Um, and for some unknown reason, Megan was carrying a pile of purple folders. Okay? Mm-hmm. She's you Megan mean in front of her the-
1: body as she got off the plane?
0: Yes. Oh. She had a bunch of purple folders in her arms as she got off the plane. Now, like, why was she carrying? That's what I was saying. Like, why are you carrying purple folders, Megan? You have people. People carry your purple folders. You don't need to carry your own. But Liz, she's a television actress. Yes. And you think about it. Think about how many TV shows you've seen where they have pregnant actresses and they're always shot carrying folders or behind the couch. Think of Olivia Pope on ABC <laughs> Scandal. Yes. They just kept getting her a bigger and bigger Birkin bag as the more pregnant she got, right?
1: That's I mean, true. That's true. It's, it's the oldest TV trick in the book.
0: I know. And, of course, the wide-fitting uh, Givenchy coat. I mean, now, our mother wasn't wearing Givenchy, but she wore – when Lianne was – she was pregnant with Lianne. I think I've mentioned this on some podcast way deep in our vault, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Liz, that Leanne, I and I'm 10 years older than Liam. I didn't even realize mom was pregnant. With, yeah. I mean, because she wore a raincoat for six months. <laughs> so I mean, it was the same thing. That's what Megan was doing. She was wearing a wide fitting coat and carrying folders like TV actresses do. But I mean, so exciting, Liz. And of course, the Australians are just got right into it, you know, Liz. Yeah. First up, you know, the governor of or uh, the Prime Minister of Australia gave Gave them their first baby gift, Liz. That's so Gender great. neutral mm-hmm. baby gifts. Mm-hmm. A kang, a kang, stuffed kangaroo, and the cutest little UGG booties you've ever seen. Right? Was that perfect? That was perfect. Perfect. And I... of course, of course, Megan was perfect because she was wearing an Australian designer dress. Uh, they said she looked like she was pregnant. I don't think so, but <laughs> nonetheless, the name of her, the dress that she was wearing is called the Blessed Dress. Oh, uh, really? Yes, Liz. This she... is the kind of details that we just can't get enough of. Because yesterday <laughs> my internet was out, right? And it was raining and terrible here. But I could I could read about the blessed dress, and that really perked me up. And I think with all the craziness in the world, that everybody should just 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 get on board with this. I mean, the Queen's excited. Yeah, she she's given this a two thumbs up. Okay, uh, Megan. My, Megan's mother is very happy about this. Mm-hmm, sure. Now there was, there was even Prince Charles. You know, he he sent out a message that he was very happy. Now this is a little unusual because they are on a two day, a two week trip to Australia, to Fiji, Tonga, New Zealand, and you know they have the Zika virus in Fiji. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, but apparently Megan and Harry have spoken to the doctors about the Zika vir- virus risk. And so uh, I don't know what they're going to – I don't know how they're handling Mm -hmm. it, but they're Mm -hmm. handling it, Liz. So I don't think we need to worry about that. So.
1: Well, uh, I I just got to say one of the reasons that we love this story so much, besides the fact that Meghan is a Southern California girl, so we've been all in on Meghan Markle from the very beginning, uh, is, as Leon said this summer before the wedding, we're grateful to Meghan Markle for sort of – taking one for the team, for generating so much good news in the world, we can ignore some of the bad news in the world. I think you're (laughs) right. It's the distraction factor that Megan is providing means I'm much more in on Royal Baby Watch right from the beginning than I would normally be. So I think we can all thank Megan and obviously Harry, too, for that. It's nice to have just a super positive, fun story. I'm also relieved that there's not going to be like months or years where everyone in the world. Is waiting for Megan to get pregnant. Okay, she's pregnant. Great.
0: A lot of pressure. Yes. Man, she had a lot of pressure, but she did it. She hit a home run, <laughs> Liz. Okay. She just she just did it, Liz. So okay. That is, yes. You know, many, many couple, and she is considered, I mean, this is hard to believe, but she is considered an older mother at 37. Yeah. And uh, with, you know, higher health risks, et cetera. You know, it's m- more difficult to get pregnant, whatever. But, uh, you know, she just did it. So uh, good for her. So okay. All right. The only right. one that did not, seem, did not seem quite as excited as they should be is Sarah Ferguson. Now, you know, her daughter, Eugenie, mm-hmm. or Jenny, mm-hmm. um, got married this weekend. It was a very lovely wedding. Yeah, Just a solid royal wedding. <laughs> she had a beautiful dress on, looked good. They looked like a very happy couple. Um, that was all good. But... Uh, right when the news broke w- uh, about um, Harry and Meghan, Sarah Ferguson went on some kind of tweet storm, Liz, and she started tweeting about her daughter's wedding and about the dress that she wore to the da- her daughter's wedding without even acknowledging the fact that Meghan and Harry are having a baby, which mm. is obviously bigger news. Mm. So I don't well, know whether she had. I don't know.
1: When you're the mother of the bride, I'm going to cut you some slack. I'm, you know, fine. fine for Fergie because I'm assuming they held off announcing the royal baby until after the wedding on purpose like I could see if Sarah Ferguson was mad if they announced the baby like on Wednesday of last week before Eugenie's wedding then I could see being annoyed but they obviously held the information back so I think everyone can just be happy for everyone okay can we do that okay
0: (laughs) <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. All right. There's and Camilla, of course, was a no-show at the wedding which she had, had the lamest excuse that she had a conflict. Oh, did you say Camilla? Yes, Camilla. Uh-huh. Yeah, she oh. was a no-show at the wedding.
1: So, okay. Well, I don't know
0: what that's about, but that's, enough said. Uh, but that was kind of <laughs> that was kind of lame, but. Again, let's stay focused on the baby UGG slippers, <laughs> on kangaroo. Let's get just, just, just you know, just, uh, just the whole thing. You're right, Liz. If we just. Both Let's is, just try uh, to rise
1: happy. above and be totally like happy. Hashtag royal baby. I'm sticking with that. The So, of course, there was a lot of great stuff on Twitter yesterday and today, um, just commenting on the baby, but also already people speculating about possible names. So... Mm. Um, Here's one. Here's someone who put out a little uh, poll, and it said Meghan, dus- Duchess of Sussex and Prince Harry, are expecting a baby. If it's a boy, what should they name it? Uh, here are the results. These are obviously mainly British people that responded to this, I'm guessing, from yeah. these results. Julie, 18% said Benny Hill, so Prince, <laughs> Prince Benny. Uh, 20, 20, and <laughs> kind it's of snappy. All right. Okay. 20% said Mr. Bean, which is a cute name for a baby to just refer to your baby as Mr. Bean. I could see that. Uh, 24% Sherlock, Prince Sherlock. And the big winner, 38% said Bond, James Bond. <laughs> okay. So so we can start to work on our own plans here at Satellite Sisters Hi. for if the, if the royal baby is a girl. But that was sort of some polling on if the royal baby is
0: a boy. If you have some g- girl names... Baby can have dual citizenship, too, Liz. You know, she might be oh, able really? to swing that. Oh. So the royal baby could have an American citizenship as well, if Meghan does not renounce her American citizenship as she's trying to get her British citizenship. Okay. So that's okay. what works, too. Our very first American <laughs> royal baby. Wow. <laughs>
2: See why Framebridge has been trusted to frame over two million pieces. Visit Framebridge.com or see a local Framebridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's framebridge.com. Thanks, Framebridge.
1: We're not supposed to want this kind of stuff, but really compared to other things, it seems like a totally good idea. Okay, let's move on. A couple of we have like three quick stories about what people are wearing. Uh Uh, The first one, I saw this headline, probably many of you did, different ways to solve the pesky problem of what to wear. So last week, a Minnesota meteorologist, uh, it was sort of a take your kid to work day, but with with a twist. So she's weather forecaster Susie Martin. She did the weathercast, Julie, while wearing her one-year-old son on her back. All all in an effort to celebrate, this was an event I was not aware of, um, International Baby Wearing Week. Did you
0: celebrate that in any way? You were were being urban nana. Right. I've been in a lot of international countries, Liz. I'm not familiar with that holiday. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> right.
1: What was so cute, though, is you see her doing her weather cast and then she turns around and you see the little baby boy on her back. So, uh, so yay for you. Susie Martin, that was a really nice touch. And the baby, you know how tough this can be to plan, Julie. Uh-huh. Uh, the baby was asleep the whole time, which is really what you want when you're on when you're on live television. Uh, but she just really believes in the bonding experience between mother and son that comes from wearing her baby as much as possible. So she said it was nice for me personally because I could multitask while comforting my child. So yay for you. She is our satellite sister of the week because I enjoyed just seeing that again. Another thing that just you read the story and it just makes you smile. Right. Bring on right. So we need. More smiling, Liz. <laughs> more smiling. OK, next up, solving the pesky problem of what to wear. And this is I have sort of a question for you about this one, Julie. So I okay. saw this headline. So which immediately got my attention in the Sunday New York Times. The big story on the front of the business section was entitled A Working Woman's Weapon. And I'm like, okay, I need to find out what that is. Okay, you need that one. You like that. That (laughs) I like all that stuff. Uh, And uh, it's a story about the business Rent the Runway. So the the headline says, A Working Woman's Weapon Rent the Runway Superfans on the Transformational Bliss of borrowing Clothes for the Job. So are you familiar
0: with Rent the Runway, Julie? Liz, I actually have that app on my phone. I've never actually rented anything from it, but my daughter-in-laws have, and they both uh, think it's a great thing. If they're going to a wedding, you can rent a dress for like $30 or something like that rather than having to buy an expensive dress or or wear the same dress you've been wearing to all the other weddings you've been to. So yeah, I think (laughs) it's a great thing. Well,
1: here's the part I didn't know, which is why it's news, Julie. So the the original business model of Rent the Runway was exactly what you just described, sort of renting couture or fancier clothes for fancier events. You're going to a, a black tie event for work or a friend's wedding or something. So it's a one-off rent the dress you want. Well, that's not how they're actually making most of their money right now because they introduced something that's called Rent the runway unlimited. And rent the one way, rent the runway unlimited is where you subscribe and you get clothes to wear to work, Julie. Just regular clothes that you're going to put on to go to your normal J-O-B. And it says, since Rent the Runway introduced Unlimited two years ago, the service has amassed tens of thousands of subscribers, in part by promising to solve the problem of what to wear to work for everyone from new hires to C-suite executives. So it's for $159 a month, and there's a cheaper tour Tier 89 bucks a month, you get to pick outfits that you can keep for the whole month that sort of keep it interesting, keep it lively. You don't have to think too much about what you're wearing. And in the story, there's a lot of information about how much time we all spend, women, that is, driving ourselves crazy
0: uh and they said dollars time Time staring at your closet trying to figure out what fits what doesn't what has a stain on it what does yeah 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 that's yeah Yeah. that's a lot of time or trying to shop for things that takes a lot of time people don't like
1: shopping right exactly and they say this burden of really always trying to look like pulled together and good Women feel it much more than men because men just pick out what tie they're going to wear that day and uh, and go with that. So here's the deal. So you pick out clothes and they send them to you. And then as you get tired of them, you know, it's a nice dress you could wear to work or a colorful blouse that you might not normally want uh, in your closet. But you can sort of cycle it in if you're going to an important meeting. And they make the point in this story that it's actually a more sustainable way of dressing versus buying a lot of what they call fast fashion at H&M or Zara, you know, the sort of cheaper clothes that you're kind of throwing away after a couple of years or not really using that much because you get sick of them. And so it's it's an interesting pitch for you wouldn't think that a service like this would actually be the more sustainable way to go. But they're trying to make the case that it is, that it's actually easier and better for the environment for us all just to be sharing clothes. So it's sort of the newest version of the sharing economy.
0: Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I, it's I inter- mean, I've never thought about that, but that's a good thing, isn't it? I yeah. mean, less waste, you know, I, I like that, Liz. I guess. Okay. I don't know. I guess
1: maybe because I grew up and we were five girls in the family. So yeah. we were, it wasn't so much sharing as the hand-me-down. Like you got everything new. Got new uh, yeah. yeah. You always had the fresh clothes and then it trickled down to us. So the trickle-down economy... Is what we were experiencing when we were young, which is why poor Leanne, being the youngest of the five girls, it just looked like her dresses kept getting bigger as she did because she would just grow into the next biggest size of a dress that our mother had already bought. But anyway, I'm just putting it out there. So would you, if you were on a traditional job, I mean, you and I, we don't really go to a conventional workplace anymore. The good thing about podcasting is, believe me, you can't see what I'm wearing right now. But is that something that
0: you think would be appealing? I think it solves a big problem. I think it could really simplify your life. And I think that's what most working women are looking for, you know, is Mm. how to make their life simpler so they have more time, you know, for their friends, for their spouses, for their kids, for, you know, for whatever their interests are. And that I I like that. Yeah. At first um, I thought
1: it was a crazy amount of money. I thought it was a crazy amount of money to spend, especially the younger you are. But there are younger women in the story that said their biggest wardrobe leap they had to make is like from college into the workplace for the first time. That they felt like it was actually cheaper to do this than to go out and buy a whole bunch of clothes at H&M or Zara that you're going to blow through really quickly. Anyway, we'll put we'll put the whole story in the show notes and read it and uh, let us know what you think about that. I'm just curious if anyone has tried this because I didn't even know that this new thing uh, existed. Okay. One last thing, Julie, then we got to go to an ad break. Dirndl's yeah. making a comeback, apparently.
0: Right. The dirndl, the dirndl dress, dateline 2018, the New York times wants you to believe Liz that dirndl's and their companion fashion out, uh, outfit, the later hosen. <laughs> are making a big and genuine comeback in Germany. Uh, Apparently, Liz, people in Bavaria are seriously wearing uh, clothes from the sound of music. Uh, (laughs) They are not being ironic about this, that there has been, in fact, an explosion of uh, dirndls being bought, a 75 percent increase in 2018. -hmm. I do not believe this, Liz. You know, I you know that they they quote in this New York Times article that some professor, sociological uh, sociology professor, sees the wearing of the dirndl as a sociological statement. It's the new generation of confident Germans. They're fighting uh, back uh, against globalism with folk prints and leather, and they're doing it, Liz. Okay, Um, I don't think this. I I do you think this is true that dirndls are making a comeback?
2: Sign up today at ButcherBox.com sisters and use code SISTERS to choose your free-for-year offer,
1: plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. This sounded familiar to me, Julie. Leon posted this in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group a couple days ago, and I was like, wait a minute. Didn't it already make a comeback? And yes, in fact, we covered this on Satellite Sisters in 2013, Julie. The New York Times ran almost the identical story, which I picked up on because I was in Germany on a business trip. And remember, I had I had to get all dressed up and go to like an Oktoberfest event. And they made me wear like the traditional Bavarian dirndl. Do you remember the nightmare that was me in a dirndl?
0: Yes, I did. I forgot about that <laughs> Yeah. One. Yeah. Okay.
1: So I I just want to say this they already came back and went away. So if you're just going to recycle this story every five years, I'm not buying it. And it's a very tough look for most of us.
0: Yeah, very, I, believe it. I think you have to be really drunk yeah, to, <laughs> to wear a dirndl or later in seriously. That's what I think.
1: It's the top that's really hard. It's not just the skirt. It's the, the sort of all pressed in, whatever. you don't, We'll post a few photos. Anyway, dirndl's making a comeback. No, we beg to differ. Uh, anyway, we're going to take a quick break here and then come back. Julie's got the scoop on this Harvard case. And then we do have kind of a semi-announcement about a major athletic adventure. Yes, so, you
0: got it, sister.
1: Okay, so stick with us. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back. Now, Julie, many listeners may not know that you were an admissions officer at various colleges and universities throughout your career. So you are the perfect person to bring us what we should really care about in this case for Harvard that's going on right now.
0: Okay, this is a big case that just started this week in Boston, and um Harvard, uh, this, the suit has been brought by a group called Fair Admissions, Students for Fair Admissions, and they brought a suit against Harvard University where they're claiming that Harvard University um, uses race uh, to discriminate Nate, against some of the applicants, in particular asian american applicants so this case has been you know uh, sort of kicking around but now it's really it's going to court and as part of that liz i think what you're going to hear is that the harvard university specifically the former dean of admissions at harvard is going to have to disclose in a lot of detail exactly how they select students to go to harvard uh-huh. so if you ever wanted to know or if you think <laughs> you wanted to go to harvard Pay attention, because I think we're going to hear some things coming out of this case. I mean, do you realize, Liz, last year, Harvard accepted 1,962 students out of a pool of 42,749 students. Wow. 42,000 students applied To Harvard, and they they accepted under 2,000. And I can tell you, having worked at an elite university, I don't know this for a fact at Harvard, but I'm estimating, Liz, that probably 40,000 of those applicants last year were smarter than me, and maybe even you, Liz Dolan, (laughs) okay? So... Well, yeah, you know, Julie, I
1: I heard someone on the news last night talking about their case, and they said, Harvard and other elite universities, they literally get thousands of applicants from kids who have 4.0 GPAs and perfect scores. uh, So they got to go in some other way to also qualify or unqualify people to get in.
0: I mean, it is it was the it is the most incredibly difficult job uh, to select students when when everybody is qualified. So Harvard develop this holistic approach um, to uh, to their application. So they are looking at test scores and they're looking at grades and they're looking at extra personal, uh, extracurricular activities, but they're also looking at what they call, they give them a personal score and that each applicant receives a personal ranking. And this is based on personality, sense of humor, courage, kindness, and they glean the facts about this, about their personality based on their, from their letters of recommendations or uh, contacts or interviews or whatever. But uh, the Asian American applicants to Harvard received the highest, they are are always in the top group in terms of academic and extracurricular levels. Mm -hmm. Okay, so So the Asian American applicants applying to school, they're killing it on the academic and the extracurricular. But they have the lowest score as a group in terms of personal ranking, which is to say, and that's their point, that they are being discriminated against because they are Asian American. That there's uh, a, so
1: they're saying there's a cultural bias here.
0: Cultural bias. Mm-hmm. And they have some proof. I mean, they did an internal study at Harvard. That's, you know, when they look back at their application process, because um, because the number of Asian applicants was, you know, was, was, they were very well qualified, but they're still they're the, you know, they're admitting the fewest number of those two, of those uh, in that category. For example, legacy children have one of the highest admit rate, and these would be children of Harvard graduates, yeah. or, you know, athletes have a much higher admit rate as a group, or children of Harvard faculty and staff also have a higher admit rate mm-hmm. than Asian Americans, and certainly children of special donors of the university mm-hmm. also have a much higher um, mm-hmm. admit
1: rate. Yeah, your Jared Kushner's, et cetera.
0: Yeah, yes. <laughs> so whoever whoever it may be. So that, um, but you know, Harvard is saying, and this has been the case that for forty years, the Supreme Court has said it is okay to use race as a measure, as a dimension of the application process, uh-huh. and. A number of the court cases with that, and most universities, in an effort to create a diverse student population, you know, they are going to consider, you know, to make sure that they have, you know, you know, a, you know, all races represented, sure. people from all socioeconomic backgrounds. But you know, the Asian Asian students in this case that have filed the suit, they're saying this is pretty similar to what Harvard did in the 1920s, where they really tried to suppress. The number of Jewish students attending the university, you know, that they Mm -hmm. just sort of said no more than 20 percent, you know, and then but they had to, you know, and that was later, you know, uh, they had to get rid of that system of discrimination. So this is this is a case where they you know, they the star witness in this case is the former dean of admissions, William Fitzsimmons. And so he's in the hot seat he's got to go on the stand and you can believe that every lawyer you know who never got into Harvard <laughs> very pointed questions about yes. <laughs> who, you know how they picked those you know 1900 students out of the 42,000 applicants so um and this really could have big ramifications for how all schools do it so it will be um, fascinating it will be very interesting to watch i will keep you updated on it cuz I'm, I'm watching that um and that if if they if they remove this bias using using that, it will really impact all schools. So, mm-hmm. in le- you know, so we'll see.
1: Very interesting. It's too late for us, of course, but maybe listeners, your children, your grandchildren, you can get some inside scoop. Okay, next up, you watched that new the the two part series on National Geographic about North Korea. You're our North Korean expert, so what did you think?
0: I, I, that's I put on my other hat now, Liz. You know, <laughs> yes. I mean, a number of people on our Facebook group at Satellite Sisters, you know, mentioned that they had watched. Um, the Nas- National Geographic is, um, has you know has is broadcasting this, so you can either find it online or you can find it in your in your television listings. But this is a two-part series. It was two years in the making, starring Michael Palin, uh, who you know from Monty Python. Mm -hmm. And he went to North Korea for two weeks. And what's amazing about this two-part documentary is that he really did have historic access to places in North Korea that even most tourists like myself would never have been able to go. So what I – people wondered – what I liked about the – about the documentary, Liz, is that it was very familiar. I could see the same food being served, you know, in the same hotel room, things like that. Many of the same locations in Pyongyang or the DMZ um, that that I had uh, traveled to. But I also liked it because he he went to many other places. You know, Kim Jong-un is making a big uh, deal about, he wants to create some seaside resort in North Korea which... Forget um, it. (laughs) Really. signing up, Liz? Why would I go there? Honestly. Uh, I don't know. Uh, So, you know, so they did go to places in North Korea that I didn't see. So I liked that part of it. What I would have to say, though, what, what, you know, wasn't captured, uh, I really like Michael Palin. I think he has a very curious and gentle style. He seemed very sensitive when he was going around. I liked all of that. But, I I don't think he really captured what a cynical, horrible place that it was. Uh That's part of it that I would have to disagree that, you know, he he sort of if you watch this, you would just think North Korea is just very odd and very strange, but not necessarily threatening. And it definitely is a threatening, terrible, awful place. Uh, And I think less of that came out. Obviously, it would be hard to you know, to talk about that while you're in North Korea, because you wouldn't be able to yes, get out exactly of North Korea if you said that. Um, but it is worth your while to uh, view if you you know just if you're interested in North Korea. So okay. that's what I would say. So, okay. but As part of that, I noticed the other big news in this week is Kim Jong Un has invited the Pope to come to North Korea. So, Liz, I wanted to ask you what you thought about whether that was a good idea for Pope Francis to travel to North Korea.
1: I have two words for this, Julie. Pope? Nope. That would be that's what I would say. I think there are many things the Pope could be paying attention to and maybe going to North Korea and, you know, giving them more attention, not really the best use of your time. You?
0: Okay, Liz. I think I think you buy I, I think. Pope we have nope, that's the headline. The Pope, no. That's what I'm going with. I know he's talked about peace and reconciliation for the Korean Peninsula, but I agree. I think he should take care of the sex scandal at home. That's what I think. Keep your eyes focused on that uh, and uh, let others work on North Korea.
1: Okay. All right, moving on. I wanted to give people an update on something that I've been uh, sharing in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. You know, every weekend I do a posting called Operation Sea Turtle, which is generally about health and wellness, and you all participate, and you share your own milestones and things, and uh, that's been great. So the last couple of weeks, uh, I've been sharing the fact that I've had kind of an injury, so I haven't been able to sustain my usual level of not very aggressive training. and. But I need to kick it up a notch because, Julie, you and I are working on a plan for something that for now we are not ready to announce the full plan, but we're just calling it a major athletic adventure for
0: early in the new year, right? That's correct, Liz. Yes, and we should say that we are not climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. No. Okay. Can we just uh, can we just disclose that right off? Yes. I would. I have to thank Kathy, the Kathys, uh in our Facebook group, yeah. Yeah. that have sent out so much valuable information, videos of their um, climbs uh, to Mount Kilimanjaro. So much good information that it really helped me make the decision that I did not want to do that. <laughs>
1: And yeah, and FYI, there was no chance I was going along on that one if that was no, the goal. No,
0: you were like I could, I could not, I couldn't no. get any uptake for that. And of course, Lian, not the hiker, yeah. she wasn't gonna climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah, so that's correct. We are. I, I think it's fair to say we're not climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, and we are not swimming the English Channel. No. <laughs> those two no. as major athletic adventures that we're not doing. Right? And
1: Julie's already been to Machu Picchu, so we're not doing that. But our major athletic adventure, I think maybe in our first show of the new year, we will have locked it down and we will be able to announce what it is. Uh, but in the meantime, I know I need to like kick it up a notch training wise in order to be ready for our our major. We all do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so that's why I went. So yesterday I went to a physical therapist because I had this hamstring injury that was just making my, now my ankle was feeling worse. I was not getting any better. So, I I got an appointment to see a physical therapist. Well, first, of course, you have to get approval, blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, so I go in for the uh, evaluation appointment yesterday. And you know how they are. They're sort of, they're feeling various parts of your body, sort of working their way down from your, you know, your hips, their knees, and your ankles. Then they ask you to walk back and forth. And then you lift your leg up and you push against them. So, the diagnostic process is lots of little things. and. And uh, and then she uh, then I sat down and she said, OK, I I have figured out what your problem is. And uh, I'm good. I'm mean, I'm expecting some super scientific uh, answer to what my problem is. She said, um, you have a weak right butt cheek. <laughs> 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 and um, she said, have you ever noticed that your uh, right butt is smaller than your left butt? And I was Uh-oh. like. No, why would I ever look at that? Why? No, I would never be looking at my, she said, yes. And now she went into this sort of medical terminology of it's my glutes, Julie, that my, my glute on the left side is strong enough so that it's balancing my hamstring. So yeah. my, so my left leg is fine. But with the weak glute or the weak right butt cheek on the right side, that's what's throwing my hamstrings off.
0: So yeah, I need to say that with that, with a straight face, <laughs> just like dying of embarrassment. When she no, 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 no.
1: She was, uh, she was just really great. I like the fact that they use normal words for your body parts, uh, the medical ones and the ones you would use in conversation. So I, she now gave me a series of exercises that I need to do to build up my, my glute, my right glute, especially, but you want <laughs> yeah, to? Make...
0: I'm not going anywhere with you if you have a week right butt cheeks yeah, is yeah yeah Not- forget it. You're just forget it. Right. I don't know why. I I don't know
1: why nobody ever told me that my right butt cheek was smaller than my left butt cheek, but okay. Is Uh, that a
0: common situation? It
1: seems (laughs) like it might be. It seems like others may suffer from this too. Uh, Maybe, maybe, which is why I wanted to share it here. So she gave me a couple of exercises. I have like one of those bands to put around my knees and do kind of a clamshell thing. She gave me some stuff that I'm supposed to do. And uh, every day, including, she said, whenever you're standing in line like a Costco or something, just clench your butt cheeks. That's what you mean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Please don't do that, Liz. Please I know.
1: I See, I can't do that, Julie. You know why? Because I've realized that whenever I do that, I also purse my lips. That is, <laughs> that is really obvious I'm doing something. <laughs> <laughs> so I would need to somehow disengage my lips from my butt cheek. I don't know how to do that. Uh, and then she also used the kinesiology tape to tape up my ankle. Thank goodness. There was no use for the tape on my, on my glutes. But I had the swollen ankle. And that was all. Again, she said, You're, you've thrown your whole body off. So if we just, like, build up your glutes, we're going to be good. So, how will you know when you have a strong butt cheek? Well, she's going to tell me, Julie, because I'm going back every week. Uh, uh, I'll be okay. able to tell. She will be oh. able to measure it. And uh, not so much size wise, but strength wise. So there you go. The, and then what's so funny. So uh, you and I talked like in the middle of the afternoon yesterday, you had no internet service, as we've established, but we have a Monday afternoon call where we always go through the rundown for the Tuesday show. And then... Then I went out, I took Hooper for a walk, I went to the grocery store, and when I got back home, I had a text from you that said, butt call? Weak <laughs> butt call? So uh, apparently I had I had butt dialed you.
0: Yes, <laughs> with what cheek is what I wanted yeah.
1: to say. So I answered, butt call from the strong side, apparently, because I'm just guessing that my... You're never okay. going to get a butt call. I'm never going to butt dial you from my weak side. So no, that's okay. an advantage to having one weak butt cheek, I guess. So there you go. Working on that for the major athletic adventure coming up uh, in the new year. So she said, I have plenty of time to get myself completely balanced glute wise. So that's all good news.
0: I think that is, Liz. Yeah. We got to start somewhere. We got to really get in training. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to take a little break here, a couple of uh, words from our sponsors. And when we come back, we have some entertainment news for you. And we're going to play you our new trailer so we can talk about how much we like it. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Okay, Julie,
0: you've been thinking about it. What's not smart? Um, How about wearing a dirndl dress to a job interview? (laughs) Agreed. Okay, we're back.
1: And we're going to have... A very special uh, little element here now. Right, Julie? Last week we announced that we had a brand new trailer and uh, we wanted to share with you the spirit of the show, right?
0: Right. This trailer is so cute, Liz. We sound faster, funnier and uh, smarter than we normally are. So I love it.
1: Okay, so this is not the end of the show. We're just going to play you our new trailer so you can get the uh, get the spirit of it. And then we're going to give you our share the sisters assignment for what we want you to do with the trailer. So, Sergio, hit it.
0: it may have run its course. It's toast? No. It's <laughs> toast. Julie, you went to see a movie this weekend,
2: so we don't have to. I'm Leanne Dolan. I'm a writer and producer. I live in Pasadena, California. I'm the youngest sister. I have two boys of my own, a husband and a big dog. Does okay.
1: everybody know that you lived in Russia? It's, it's a data dump of royalty news. <laughs> you know we're coming at you, Facebook. <laughs> Reluctantly. <laughs> Healthy eating and exercise, not fasting and dieting remain your best bets. Damn it! Darn! I'm Liz Dolan. I'm the middle sister. I'm an on-again, off-again corporate executive, and I live in Santa Monica with my dog, Hooper. Are Pop-Tarts a form of ravioli? And (laughs) Stay noisy, next gen. It's just a pleasure
2: to be in two countries that appreciate coffee that doesn't include whipped
0: cream. (laughs) From the West Coast to Sydney... It's really only three or four movies and a nap. And I'm Julie Dolan. I'm the oldest sister. I've lived and worked all over the world. Now I'm in Dallas, Texas. I'm an empty nester and an urban nana with five grandchildren.
1: New mom pep talk. My hobbies and activities. Sloth is <laughs> is what it says. Are they just voracious on the wreath or will they bite us? That... Oh, did I tell you he was eating our paycheck? No. No. <laughs> We're... Is that our piece of the pie this time? Okay, our, okay, so, um, National right.
2: Sibling Share Your Wealth Day.
0: Get yeah. off the
2: table, Hooper. Yeah. Maybe All that right. lettuce had like one last day on, on the before it expired. <laughs> Just take
0: the lettuce. There is silence. They're not calling back or as my son Will said his text messaging system was broken, which is a lie. I mean, I guess if a
2: smoothie here is $20, <laughs> that it does make sense that actual high an actual IV would be more expensive.
1: Everybody just wants to see a Nemo. Yeah. You know,
2: and like the US Army trumpet dragoon or something.
0: I don't think that's ragoon. the right I think it is. I'm like 100%
1: sure
0: it's a trumpet for good.
1: (laughs) You can listen to new Satellite Sisters episodes weekly on all podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, and Google Podcasts. Or find us online at SatelliteSisters.com. And don't forget, call your Satellite Sister. Oh, thank you, Sergio Enriquez, for putting that together for us. I still enjoy it every time I listen, Julie. How about you?
0: Me too. Me too. And I think it's so, you can just pass that on to your friends with so much confidence because yes. you know, they're going to love it. Right. Yeah. I yeah.
1: love it. Yeah. yeah. It's free. Yeah. It's it's a happy cut. We tried to make a very happy cut. So here's what we want you to do. It's super simple. We have the, the trailer is posted on our website, on any of the apps. If you subscribe to satellite sisters on, you know, uh, Stitcher or Apple podcasts or NPR one, you will have seen that it came through as a separate file last week in your feed. Oh, we're just asking that all the people that you normally tell how much you love our show or when people, when you're talking to your friends about your favorite podcasts, you can just, boom, send them this little three-minute sampler now and we would be very grateful. So thanks for everything you do for supporting our show and thank you for sharing our trailer, right?
0: Yes, thank you. Really, that's that's well put, Liz. Yes.
1: So, okay, uh, entertaining sisters time. Uh, Julie, you were you were in New York last week, and you have an entertainment recommendation.
0: I do, I do, Liz. If you're looking for a great Broadway show, I had a chance to see the best musical winner. Come from away. Uh-huh. Do you know this? Uh, do you know this musical is? Yes. And I know it's in New York, and it may be. You know, maybe they're, It's going to have a. You know, try. I think it's going to be traveling around the country. This is based on a true story of seven thousand stranded passengers and a small Newfoundland town of Gander, um, and this is what happened on 9/11 when they shut down the American airspace. Um, all these they had to land all these planes somewhere they landed in Gander Newfoundland and it's what new york times called a portrait portrait of heroic hospitality liz this is a there's there's no intermission in this play it's a, it's 110 minutes and from the opening opening music number i had a lump in my throat i mean really? i just loved it it's a 12 member uh, ensemble cast and they play multiple parts uh, from the good citizens of Gander to passengers to to airline pilots to crew members, and the whole musical and all the stories that unwind in this 110 minutes are based on interviews from people that it, were really in Gander on that day. So I think everybody would love it. I think you would enjoy the energy and the you know the warmth, the love, you know the you know it makes you laugh, it makes you cry. But it is the story of how this small town helps so many stranded strangers, and it's just very uplifting. Um, I'd recommend it for all ages. There are a couple of bad words in it, but other than that, uh, even children, um, you know, of a certain age, uh, uh, you know, I think would be able to enjoy it. And it just—you you walk out of there and you just say, "Hail Canada!" I mean, what? How great were they to to help us out that day? It's very uplifting, and um, okay. All right. And I would recommend it. The other thing I loved about this cast, Liz, it's very diverse. Mm-hmm. You know how a lot of Broadway shows, everyone's like 20 and they can sing and <laughs> dance and kick and do all this. I love this cast because all ages, all sizes, all races. I mean, it just was so diverse, um, you know, very unexpected in a musical to see such a range of um, characters. So yeah. I would put that on your list. The name of it is Come From Away. And the
1: national tour is going on right now. I'm looking at it online. The show's in Seattle right now and moving all over the country. I know it's going to be in L.A. from November 28th through January 6th. So over the holiday season, I could go see it. But if you go, we'll have a link in our show notes if you want to see it um, as it travels around the country. That sounds like a fun thing to take yeah. the whole family to. So, okay, good recommendation, Julie. Thank you. Come from away. Um Meanwhile, I have two films I wanted to talk about. I was in Bend, Oregon, over the weekend. I met our sister Monica there. Every year we go to the to Bend Film. It's a really nice film festival they do during a gorgeous time of year. I mean, mid-October in Central Oregon is so great. And we saw a lot of different movies. You know, some of them are uh, narrative features that tend to be a little darker, like Monica saw one about, you know, a Bulgarian woman who has agoraphobia. And so there's Things at that that end of the spectrum. It's tough. Yeah, one. yeah. You see all different kinds of things. I I watched a lot of shorts, but there were two that I just wanted to mention uh, because I thought they were each really interesting in their own way. One is uh, a movie, a documentary about the writer Ursula Le Guin the science fiction writer, fantasy writer, and it was really fascinating. It's called The Worlds of Ursula Le Guin. And I got to say, I've never read anything by Ursula Le Guin. Yeah. So it yeah. wasn't just I'm a super yeah. fan and wanted to know more about her. She lived in Portland, Oregon for many of the years that I lived there. And so she was very visible around town. But it's just, that's not a genre that ever attracted me. But what I loved about this movie is they, they got a lot of great interview footage with her. She passed away shortly before the movie came out early this year. Uh, But they also, there's a lot of footage in there where they talk to the next generation and even the next generation after that of great fantasy and science fiction writers like Neil Gaiman and others and talk about the importance that she, her, the worlds that she created, uh, how important they were to them in their writing. And one of them even says, you know, without Ursula K. Le Guin... There's no Harry Potter. Like she literally invented sort of wizarding uh, in in literature. And it was never recognized as legit literature when she started writing this. But she was writing it because she was like a mom with three kids and she could sell these pieces. Anyway, if you if you like books, if you like uh, movies about authors and you see this documentary, the um, the worlds of Ursula K. Le Guin coming through or, you know, on some streaming service, I thought it was really, really fascinating. Then the other thing, okay. oh, my God, totally the opposite end of the spectrum. This movie, Monica and I got so choked up at this. Julie, this this movie has Julie Dolan all over it. The name of the movie is Pick of the Litter. And it is a documentary about how they train lab puppies to become oh. guide dogs oh. for the blind. Oh, my God. Well, you
0: know, you know, I had, I've always had a lab, I'm black labs, um, mm-hmm. so... Um, Yes, they have a special place in my heart. Yes, Yes. and it is. What's so great about this movie,
1: of course, you know, it's a puppy movie. So what's not to love about a puppy movie? But it's surprisingly intense in some sections because of the drama of what they're training the dogs to do and how important it is, the important role they play in the lives of the person with whom they ultimately get matched. So the cute stuff includes things like, you know, all the litters of the puppies, all the names always match with the first letter. So this litter is uh they're all pea puppies julie and so the five puppies in the movie so you get to follow them through the training are patriot potomac primrose poppet and phil
0: so okay that's funny that's a funny name for a dog yeah
1: So you get to know all the puppies and, you know, as we know, dogs all have their own personalities and so do Patriot, Potomac, Primrose, Poppet, and Phil. But then they also give you a lot of insights into the puppy raisers. So these are the families that take these puppies when they're very young and raise them for the first 16 months or so before they go back to school to really get their guiding skills. So people have all different kinds of motivations for training these dogs and sometimes it works and that. They have the dog for the whole 16 months. Other times, the dogs get pulled away from them because for whatever reason, the professionals feel like they're not giving that dog what that dog needs. So that was very interesting. Then they also profile some of the individuals who are waiting for a guide dog. You know, there's a a blind man who has never had a dog before, and there's another woman who has retinitis pigmentosa who's had a series of dogs. So you get to know, like, the importance of these dogs to the independence and the lives of the people for whom they're being trained, which is very moving and one interesting thing they said, which really stuck with me because I, I never thought about it, is that guide dogs for all the things dogs are trained to do, you know the bomb sniffing dogs the you know all the different things that they do that that can be helpful to humans um, guide dogs are the only dogs that are trained by humans that are, that are then asked to overrule the commands of the human when safety requires it, oh. right? So you have to stop your human from crossing the street. You have to change their direction. Like, you have to be able to follow their instruction almost all the time except when it's life or death. And they have to be able to recognize when it's a life or death situation. Oh my
0: gosh, that is deep, Liz. It wow. is deep.
1: It's really deep. And you can see some of the dogs learning that and some of the dogs not learning that. So anyway, I, I, I recommend it. It's called Pick of the Litter. I'm sure I'm sure it's on TV somewhere already, like on Hulu or Netflix or something. I didn't look that up, but it's also going to be playing around in theaters. Um, highly recommend Pick of the Litter. Puppy Love It's... <laughs> Super sad, but but very uplifting. So okay, there you nice. go.
0: And you know why labs are good at that, Liz, because they while they can bond with their trainer, labs just go where the food is. So <laughs> can you know, they can be with their trainer, but then they can be a guide dog with someone else as long as that other person feeds them. Yeah, yeah. That's all labs care about is food. So one last
1: thing thing I didn't mention, you know, some of the labs, they they're just not suited to this work. Like like your lab teller, didn't he flunk out of some kind of training program?
0: Yes, he did. He was a he was a a dropout. Yeah. But he was perfect for our family. So it worked out
1: fine. Exactly. So what they call that in the business, Julie, they don't say the dogs flunk out or fail. They say the dogs career changed and they come into these families and they say we're going to have to career change this dog that okay. they're just okay. never going to get to the point where they need to be, where they have the skills required to really guide the blind. So there okay. you go. We could all use a career change, including career change. including puppies. All right. Okay. So we got to wrap this up soon here. What do we have going on?
0: One more one more pick, Liz. We have to talk about our Satellite Sisters book club pick. Mm-hmm. The name of the book is If You Love Me, A Mother's Journey Through Her Daughter's Opioid Addiction. And this is by Maureen Kavanaugh. And we're going to have her on in two weeks. It's an absolutely gripping book. You will read it fast because you will be involved with this mother as she goes through this journey with her daughter, where she starts off worried, ashamed, but then she really comes to grip with the situation and, you know, the sad realization that no matter how hard you love your child, if they're under the grip of opioid addiction, there's nothing you can do to save them. Yeah. Yeah, is a book that, you know, everybody should read. Yeah. Okay. Julie,
1: I noticed that it got reviewed in this weekend's New York Times book review. So I put a link to that in our show notes. It's called Coming Clean, A Mother Chronicles Her Daughter's Heroin Addiction. And Maureen Kavanaugh has become like, quite an advocate for yeah. uh, for education and really and people really telling their stories. So we're looking forward to talking to her in two weeks, which gives you plenty of time to read the book before she's on the show. So... All right, time to wrap it up. What okay. what have you got?
0: I got my to do the list this week. I've got to make a pumpkin tableau. Do you got a pumpkin tableau going at your house for Halloween?
1: I don't even know what that means. Pumpkin okay, see, tableau. Liz, you
0: know, in the old days, you just would like carve a pumpkin, stick it on your doorstep. Yeah. But now, look around. No matter where you are in America. People are building pumpkin tableaus. Okay. You don't have one pumpkin. You have four pumpkins, five pumpkins. They're different sizes, colors, shapes. Maybe you got a bale of hay. Maybe you (laughs) have some chrysanthemums with it. You know, maybe. So you you build like this whole tableau. It could cost you a fortune, Liz. Okay. But I'm not going to spend a fortune on my pumpkin tableau. I've got 40 bucks and I'm going to get some pumpkins. And that's it. That's my uh, that's my limit. Okay. How about you? I think you could use something on your front doorstep list.
1: No, I think you're talking to the wrong sister, sister. I think that's Leigh, and it would be strong in the pumpkin tableau. So I'm sure next week when she's back on the show, we'll be able to hear about what she's got going on at her house. No, I don't know. I just I feel like I buy a pumpkin or three or whatever, and then it just sits there, and then it just rots, and then I throw it away. You know, I'm—whatever. No. So there— <laughs> No. Okay. There's... You said no to the Pope, and now no to pumpkins. Okay. You know, I just got to be true to myself, Julie. No. Nope. I
0: mean, I think it's that weak butt cheek. <laughs> is really making you a little crabby, Liz.
1: I think that needs to be the focus of my attention, my weak butt cheek, and that I just have no time for pumpkins. I'm going to be clenching, Julie, clenching, clenching, clenching. Okay. All right. So, okay, we're going to wrap up. Remember, you have your assignment. It is sharing our trailer uh, with your own satellite sisters and misters. Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you to Sergio Enriquez, who produced that trailer for us and engineers our show. We will be back next Tuesday, of course. You can always find us at SatelliteSisters.com, where we have all kinds of information about things we have going on. We post the show notes there. Uh, We have an archive of hundreds and hundreds of old episodes if you just want to listen to some deep cuts. So there you have it. Check that out at SatelliteSisters.com. So um, we're going to go, but don't forget, call your satellite system.